This is Dr. Canadiana, a podcast about Canadian theatre history. I'm your host, Ashley Williamson. Episode 4, Collective Creation. Last week's topics included the Canadian government's effort to define and support Canadian art and culture. I examined suggestions Robertson Davies made to the Massey Commission, for example, fostering homegrown playwriting talent in order to develop a body of work that would comprise a Canadian drama repertoire, funding theatre buildings, and eventually establishing a Canadian national theatre. I explain centennial projects and their legacy beyond 1967, and then I track the creation of the Canada Council and its various modes of support. In this episode, I'm going to talk about collective creation, a deeply Canadian method for developing theatre that is tied to Canada Council funding and centennial grants, and ultimately the Massey Commission's governmental recommendations for supporting Canadian theatre talent. This episode marks the first in a three-episode arc that will explore the development of Canadian plays and playwriting. Next week's episode, Mandates and Manifestos, and the following week's Canadian Playwrights, will return to similar themes, like developing a distinct Canadian voice and how best to support Canadian talent. You will also notice that certain people, places, and companies come up over and over again. I want you to track this. The Canadian theatre landscape, historically, as well as now, is small. Actors are playwrights, are directors, are producers. People who are on the vanguard of theatre creation in Canada in the 70s have now become the mainstream institutions that newer creators develop alternatives to. Okay, collective creation is a collaborative process between a director, actors, and other theatre makers costumers, scenographers, musicians, sometimes stage managers, that examines a social or political issue. The script, a play script or a performance score, is created in a rehearsal-like environment using techniques like movement, repetition, improvisation, to tease out a story or narrative from source material, like newspaper articles, photographs, books, songs, and personal interviews. The process can involve as few as two and as many as a room can hold. The Canadian Theatre Encyclopedia's entry for collective creation says, quote, the process may begin as a community project in which the theatre artists interview participants in historical events or research the subject, returning to fashion through song, anecdote, or scene, a finished work. Many of the country's notable works were created this way, end quote. At its heart, collective creation is a group research project that's final goal is to make art that will educate, inform, and entertain. The use of research, especially newspapers and artistic collaboration, were used to create theatre in Canada before 1967. The use of the term collective creation, however, is tied to a specific time, place, and theatre company. To fully explain the influence and importance of collective creation on Canadian theatre history, we must begin with the history of Theatre Passe its artistic director, Paul Thompson, and three of its first major collective successes, 1972's The Farm Show, 1837 The Farmer's Revolt from 1973, and arguably their most provocative show of the decade, 1975's I Love You, Baby Blue. 
In the second half of the episode, I will talk about how the methods that helped these plays become early successful examples of collective creation were used by other theatre companies. Our case study this week will be the Anna Collective's 1985 show, This Is For You, Anna. In 1968, Jim Gerard and Paul Thompson started Theatre Passmerai, which means Theatre Without Walls. The phrase was meant to evoke the company's mandate to create theatre that was open and inclusive and that moved beyond the confines of traditional theatre space by reaching out to the community. The men were influenced by the alternative theatre and performance movement developing in New York City, and also by French actor and director Antonin Artaud, who was a major figure in mid-20th century European avant-garde, and is best known for his Theatre of Cruelty, which asks the artist to break with traditional aspects of Western theatre and instead assault the audience's senses. Thompson wrote his master's thesis on Artaud. Gerard and Thompson wanted to bring this alternative theatre spirit to Toronto, which at the time was dominated by commercial theatre endeavours, touring productions, and the classical theatre influence just down the highway at Stratford. In its very early years, the company had more international tastes. For example, in 1969, they staged an American play, Futz, which was about a man sexually obsessed with a pig. However, in 1971, Paul Thompson took over as artistic director, and the mandate of the theatre shifted toward Canadian themes. Thompson was born in PEI in 1940 and studied at the University of Western Ontario, University of Paris, and University of Toronto. He spent 1965-67 to 67 living in France with Roger Planchon, an innovative director in Lyon, France. When he took over Passe-Marais, he decided to use techniques he learned in France to develop a theatre project about identifiably Canadian social and political issues. This method would become what we call collective creation. The first show that Thompson and his company developed was The Farm Show, which they created by living and working alongside farmers in Clinton, Ontario. Using their research, they created a series of sketches, monologues, songs, and poems about rural Ontarian life, which they performed for the community in a Clinton barn. Thompson and his ensemble moved to Clinton to live within the community to better understand the work and lives of rural Ontarians. The actors took on work at farms and used those embodied experiences to create movement pieces about the farm work, making a threshing machine or a horse out of their bodies. They interviewed the people of the town and wove those stories together into monologues, or they recreated conversations on stage verbatim. Their first performance of the show was for the people they interviewed and worked for. They wanted to reflect the community back to itself. However, the play did have life after the farm. In a 1975 article about the farm show becoming a piece of the Canadian repertoire and other theatre companies touring the show, Globe and Mail theatre critic Herbert Whitaker wrote, quote, the show delighted audiences, even if it put the good folk of Clinton and environs on the city stages. And he goes on to say, because this was the result of such a personal investigation, it did not seem likely that the farm show would be reproducible. Wrong. The Our Company's staging of it stands very well in comparison, even though the actors are younger. 
The farm show would be produced and reproduced over the country and the years by professional, amateur, and university and colleges. It is a testament to its place in the canon that it was chosen as one of the inaugural productions for University of Toronto, Mississauga and Sheridan College's joint theater drama specialist program in 1992. The play has even been updated and revised. In 2013, Globe and Mail critic J. Kelly Nestruck reviewed the Blythe Theater's updated farm show. He writes that the play has been renewed for the 21st century with, quote, a recurring focus in the collection of scenes and monologues based on interviews with locals on how much farming has changed since the 1970s, of farmers who text and monitor stock prices on their smartphones while they ride tractors, one who gives ultrasounds to cows, and multiple proponents of genetically modified foods and GPS-enhanced precision farming. Rick Salutin's play, 1837, A Farmer's Revolt, was not a creation born of interviews and embodied research, but rather a historical investigation. The performance was developed to tell the story of the Upper Canada Rebellion, led by a Toronto-based newspaper man named William Lyne Mackenzie against the Family Compact. A stagedoor.com review of the Shaw Festival's 2017 revival of the play describes its style as, quote, Written in the melange of non-naturalistic Brecht influence styles that was typical of collective creations in Ontario in the 1970s, end quote. The play was successful because it's non-linear, non-narrative approach to theater and became alongside James Rainey's Donnelly's trilogy and video cabs, The History of the Village of Small Huts, a classic canonical entry into Canadian history plays. In a decidedly very different entry to the collective creation landscape, I Love You, Baby Blue, departed from bucolic and historical topics to sex. So much sex that the play was shut down by the RCMP and the company was charged with performing an immoral stage performance, although the charges were later dismissed. The show explores the shifting social and moral attitudes towards sex in Toronto in the post-sexual revolution decade with full frontal nudity, simulated sex acts, and Frank's discussions about sex in all its forms. It created a lively argument in newspapers about the purpose of the show. Robert Wallace, writing in Our Image, calls the show, quote, a mindless review of sexual tableau aimed at satisfying the masturbatory fantasies of the heterosexual male, end quote. The author contrasts the sex in Baby Blue, which he characterizes as voyeuristic, over-the-top, and misogynistic. I mean, most of the nudity was female. With the final moment in Pasmerai's early show, Duke Harbors, about the oppression experienced by religious immigrants from Russia to Canada, which had the cast stripping off as an act of protest in the final scene of the play. Wallace calls this an example of nudity used to make a dramatically educational point. Now, it strikes me when I read these comments that perhaps for Wallace, the nudity is not what is truly bothering him. Perhaps it is Pasmerai's using its collective creation process to explore a topic on stage he does not deem educational. 
For at its foundation, the work Passmorize Thompson and his ensemble made was about identifiable Canadian social and political issues. Was sex then not political? I will end this section with this. Although Passmorai became the company most associated with collective creation, it was not the only company that used these tactics, nor was it the first. In next week's episode on mandates and manifestos, I will discuss several companies and theatre movements that use collective creations in concert with, in the same time as, and well before Passmorai. After the break, the Anna Collective and Collective Creation Now. Butter Tart, Canada's only butter tart delivery service, is back again this week as a sponsor, and it has a special offer for new subscribers. For this week only, when you sign up, Butter Tart will send a tart along to one of your friends, too. Make these socially distant times sweeter. Remember, that's spelled B-T-T-R-T-R-T. Promo code COLLECTIVE. In the second half of this podcast, I will be discussing difficult topics such as violence against women and children and sexual assault. Nightwood Theatre is historically remembered as one of Canada's first successful feminist theatre companies, but their original mandate was one of collective creation. This mandate shift and the reasons for it will be discussed in next week's episode. The company was founded in 1979 by Kim Renders, Cynthia Grant, Mary Vingo, and Maureen White. Nightwood Theatre was one of the original co-founders of the still-running Rhubarb New Play Festival with Buddies at Bad Times Theatre, although they left in 1983. Among its notable productions are Pope Joan by Benuda Rubes, which won the Chalmers Award in 1984, My Boyfriend's Back and There's Gonna Be Laundry by Sandra Seamus in 1987, 1988's Goodnight Desdemona, Good Morning Juliet by Anne-Marie MacDonald, the recipient of the Governor General's Award, the Chalmers Award, and nominated for a Dora Award. Princess Pocahontas and the Blue Spots by Monique Mojica in 1989, and Janet Sears' Harlem Duet in 1996, and Adventures of a Black Girl in Search of God in 2002. This Is For You, Anna was originally a 20-minute show presented at a Women's Centre fundraiser in 1983, and over time was developed by a group of artists who called themselves the Anna Collective. The collective consisted of Suzanne Curie, Anne-Marie MacDonald, Benuda Rubes, Aida Jordeo, Patricia Nichol, and Nightwood co-founder Maureen White. In her book, Nightwood Theatre, A Woman's Work is Always Done, Shelley Scott writes that, quote, There are two ways in which the collective model is significant for feminist theatre. It shows how the collective working process embodies feminist principles of equality, and how it influences the aesthetics of the work produced." Unquote. Let's connect this statement to Passmorai's practice of collective creation as a mode for making social and political art. In this case, Nightwood's feminism, a particularly pointed political position in the early 1980s, is both the process and the topic of the work. The play was inspired by the women of the collective's reaction to a newspaper article describing the case of Marianne Bachmeier, who in 1981 walked into a German courtroom and fired seven gunshots into the man who had killed her seven-year-old daughter. 
The choice to explore violence against women in this play, at this time, was not just because of Bachmeier's case. It wasn't until 1983 that Canada passed Bill C-127, which made rape of a wife by her husband a crime. Yep, previously, this was not considered a crime. The passing of this bill created a more open conversation about domestic violence, sexual abuse, and assault nationally, which in one way helped to create better resources and safety for women. However, in quite another way, it pushed ugly, misogynistic attitudes into the light in a way that made women angry and men uncomfortable. The Anna Collective used Marianne Bachmeier and her daughter Anna as a framework in which to explore Canadian women's anger at the violence committed against them. After the first performance in 1983, Nightwood acquired funding from a variety of government grants and the collective began touring to community centers, women's shelters, law schools, and a prison with their play. Like the early historical efforts of Pass Marai, Farm Show, in 1837, the Anna Collective used interviews and field research to build their play. Scott notes that they, quote, expanded their material through research on violence against women with consultations with police officers and rape crisis workers, end. The main storyline of Marianne and her daughter is intertwined with material from fairy tales and interviews with battered Canadian women and was developed using improvisation, games, and dream exercises. This is for you, Anna, has joined the Canadian canon. It is studied in drama classes as part of Falwad's play anthology that this class is using, and it is performed most recently at U of T's Hart House Theatre in 2015. The use of collective creation to develop shows about political, historical, and social topics continues into the 21st century. A selected example from the last decade would include Downstage Creation Ensemble's 2012 show, Good Fences, which explores the relationship between agriculture and oil and gas in Alberta. Saga Collective's Black Boys, which played at Buddies in Bad Times Theatre in 2018 and was described by its creators as a raw, intimate, and timely exploration of queer male blackness. The echo of collective creation can also be seen in the 2011 Judith Thompson-led play Rare, a play about, created with, and performed by people with Down's syndrome. And in 2016's Once, Africaville Stories, a play presented by Voices Black Theatre Ensemble from Halifax, which used poetry, dance, storytelling, and music to explain the 1964 relocation of residents of Africville, Halifax's historic Black neighborhood. Next week's topic will be mandates and manifestos. I will explain the historical use of manifestos by theatre companies in Canada, such as the Canadian Workers Collective, the Stratford Festival, Toronto alternative theatres like Factory and Tarragon, as well as Nightwood and Buddies in Bad Times Theatre. In the second part, I will discuss more contemporary theatre mandates, like those for Obsidian Theatre and Why Not Theatre. Talk soon, eh? Sources for this podcast include the Canadian Theatre Encyclopedia entries for Pass Marai, Nightwood Theatre, Paul Thompson, and Kim Renders. Shelley Scott's book, Nightwood Theatre, A Woman's Work is Always Done, 
as well as her article, Enacting This Is For You, Anna, which she was kind enough to email me when I could not access it online. I also used Canadian Human Rights Museum and the Canadian Encyclopedia Online to fact check historical information on Africville and the Upper Canada Rebellion. Any newspapers I quoted were discovered in class by my students in a newspaper database research session. Thank you.